Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. I have someone who I haven't podcasted with in a really bloody long time. So I'm quite looking forward to it because she is the right person to be talking about this with me. And that is Nina. Nina, who have we got on today? Ah, we've got a terrific, we've, we've, got, we've got a fantastic guest today and someone I've been looking forward to speaking to. Um, today we have Sharon Bennett Connolly. Um, Sharon is a historian. She writes the blog History, The Interesting Bits. And she's written four books, including Heroines in the Medieval World and Silk and the Sword. But today we're here to talk about her very latest book, which I can't wait to hear more about. It's called Women of the Anarchy. And so with that, um, let's start. So, Sharon, um, you, you're a, you publish a number of books about this particular historical period, and they have focused on women. How did you select this particular one as a topic. I mean, it's, it's intriguing, but uh, we'd, like to, we'd like our listeners to hear more about how you chose this and what your approach is to the subject. Well, hello, both Nina and Alina. Thank you for having me on. It was, all my books tend to follow on from each other. So when I wrote Heroines of the Medieval World, there were a couple of women in there who were related to the anarchy. And then... It was like once I'd written that, I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind. I love the story of Empress Matilda. And I think the anarchy is one of those periods that is often overlooked in medieval history. You know, people tend to skip straight from the Norman Conquest to the Plantagenets because Eleanor of Aquitaine, who wouldn't? Um, But the actual period of the anarchy is it's just, it's fascinating. It's the only period in English history where there are two women who are at one time the main protagonists, the Empress Matilda and King Stephen's wife, Matilda of Boulogne. And there's this really strong women in this period. And yet everybody, if anyone focuses on it, they tend to focus on Stephen and just say, poor Matilda, Stephen stole her throne. So I just wanted to look in into the period, and instead of looking at Stephen and Matilda, look at the Empress and Queen Matilda, which, of course, is very difficult to do because you've got two Matildas. (laughs) You're talking, actually, you've got a lot more than two Matildas. There's so many Matildas in that book, and I'm hoping that I've got kept them all straight uh, for the sake of the reader. But, um, yeah, it's just the idea of just changing the focus. Stephen's still in it. You can't kick the men out of history altogether 
Well, it's just trying to change the focus so that you're looking at the Empress and the Queen rather than making Stephen the, the centre of it. The and um, um, a whole host of other women who forced themselves into the story for me as well. And it's just, it is such a fascinating period. And like I say, it has, it's more often than not overlooked. And yet it's sort of shaped the future of medieval England. Because once you'd got the end of the anarchy, you did get the Plantagenets who reigned for 300 years. But without the anarchy, you wouldn't have had the Henry II we did have. So because he was shaped just as much by that period in history as his mother was. So it's such a defining moment in English history. And yet it's often forgotten or ignored. Can I just say that I love that you have filled a gap in history. I, I can't really relate to this because I predominantly work on the male experience in my field. But I'm surrounded by amazing female historians, Nina, Kate Vigors, um, so many others who bring out this experience that is completely and utterly overlooked. Or it is mentioned in like a footnote or (laughs) alongside a man. And Mm. it's really nice to finally be able to hear the voices of these women who actually deserve, they deserve their own book. Too bloody right. They do, but they haven't got their own book. It's the way I've started saying it is because I get accused of oh changing history because you're writing about the women and they they were there but they weren't as significant and things like that. I have I have been accused of that. So I've said I'm not changing history. I'm putting the women back into the story. You know the men are still there. Stephen is in the book. Robert of Gloucester is in the book. They. I'm not changing the story. I'm just putting Empress Matilda, Matilda of Boulogne, Ada de Warren, St. Margaret even, into the story to show where they all fit. So you, you're telling, for the first time, if you include the women, you're telling the whole story. If you're only telling the story of the men, you're only telling half a story. So yeah. it's just trying to complete the history rather than change it. Or whitewash it. Yes. <laughs> Where is that? Yes. I've, when, I'm, I, I conf- full confession, I'm a lapsed medievalist. I started out studying um, medieval architecture and history. And in fact, am passing familiar with, with Ada de Warren because I looked at, um, I looked at uh, Castle Acre Priory, mm-hmm. which was a project of both the Warrens when they come to come to England um, and they are asserting their their local authority and they do it in the built environment um, but I don't want to obviously don't want to don't want to go that too far but what what's no, always... well, it is one of the most gorgeous buildings in the world Castle Acre Priory it is I've been told about it and told about it and seen photos and then when I was researching my book on the Warrens Defenders of the Norman Crown right. I did visit and I was like oh wow that front it is just stunning I, I have a soft spot in my heart even today. <laughs> but the, the the point, rather than um, rather than aggrandize my connection to what you're doing, which was not my intention, but the the observation I wanted to make very much is whenever I've read history from that period and I've read about the anarchy, the the way that it's framed is always that it was inevitable that Stephen was going to win, and I've always thought that that has to be absurd. Um, and so, uh, you know, in your in your particular work, looking at Matilda and the multiple Matildas, 
Um, what was your, from your perspective as a historian, was it inevitable or was this in fact, you know, uh, the outcome uncertain and in the end, Stephen wins? Mm. I don't think it was ever inevitable. Mm. I think the decisive year was 1141. Hmm. which is, it's actually called The War of the Two Matildas, which right. I didn't even know about until I started writing the book. I came across this comment that said, the, the, the year 1141 is known as The War of the Two Matildas. And I was thinking, I wish I'd known that when I proposed the title, because that would have been a brilliant title. Um, but the, the thing with 1141 was, um, at the beginning of the year on the 6th of February, there was the Battle of Lincoln. And King Stephen was actually actually captured by the Empress's forces. And shortly after, the Empress is actually announced as the Lady of the English. She is effective ruler of England. And she manages to get to Westminster, arrange her coronation. And it's at that point that Stephen's wife, Matilda of Boulogne, puts a spanner in the works and turns up on the outskirts of London with an army and the Empress has to run for her life on the eve of her coronation. And Stephen's in fetters at this point. He's actually in irons in Bristol Castle because he had actually, he tried to escape at one point, so they actually put him in a dungeon and put irons on him to make sure he didn't. The Empress, Matilda, so Queen Matilda has got this army and she's chasing the Empress. The Empress decides that she can't have London, she'll go to Winchester, which is the second big, second capital city in England. You know, if you can't have London, Winchester's the next best thing. And Stephen's brother, Henry of Blois, I can't pronounce Blois. I speak French, I still can't pronounce Blois. Um, <laughs> he's the Bishop of Winchester. He was the one who actually announced, uh, proclaimed Matilda Lady of the English. He had, when Stephen was captured, he had decided to change sides and support the Empress. But now the Empress has been chased out of London. Henry decides he'd better go back to his brother's side and rejoins Matilda of Boulogne. By which point, Empress Matilda decides she's going to besiege Bishop Henry's castle in Winchester. So she surrounds his castle, lays siege to it. And at the same time, Matilda of Boulogne comes up behind her and lays siege to the Empress. So you've got a siege within a siege at Winchester. The castle inhabitants had actually sent missiles over the walls and set fire to Winchester. And the poor empress, she had no choice but to retreat. And in the retreat, her brother, who is her leading general, Robert Earl of Gloucester, gets captured, which means there's these all these in negotiations and a swap is eventually agreed for King Stephen to swap for Robert of Gloucester. So Matilda of Boulogne gets her husband back. The Empress gets her brother, who's her general, back. And by the end of the year, everyone's back where they were at the beginning of the year. Stephen's on the throne and Matilda is still fighting for it. And you just think if things had gone different in that year, Matilda would have got it. The only problem is once there's this idea in medieval lands that once uh, someone is anointed as a king, 
they cannot be replaced. They cannot be deposed. And that was Empress Matilda's problem. She couldn't actually depose Stephen because although he'd usurped the throne, he had been anointed as a king. And when the anointing is the symbol of God choosing this king. So nobody wanted to go against God. So nobody could work out a way to actually dethrone Stephen. And that was Matilda's main problem. She could fight for as long as she had breath in her body. But while Stephen was an anointed king, she was going to have a really hard time taking him off the throne unless she killed him. And she wouldn't, She didn't do that. Now, I can imagine that a decision of that kind would have, um, in addition to whatever faith she might have had about that act, yes, exactly. um, she would lose any support that yeah. that that she'd had because of that. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by the strength of uh, Matilda of of Boulogne and her sort of right. You know, the man's yeah. in prison but he should be king. And so I'm going to take, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge and I'm going to make sure that, you know, that, that, uh, that uh, Empress Matilda doesn't get to the point where she actually mm-hmm. achieves being anointed um, because same thing that, you know, that, that would, uh, that would effectively um, quash, you know, Stephen's um, ability. But yeah. so it would cause some difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, fascinated with her too. Tell us more about her and how, where, how does she, what, what strikes me is, and, and much of this, of course, is the way that history has been written to emphasize the men in history. But I'm fascinated that during this period, we have these incredibly strong women who go to war with their yes. armies and fight each other. Tell us more. I hate to call her Stephen's wife, Matilda, because she's, (laughs) he should be Matilda's husband, Stephen, quite frankly. It looks like, tell us more about her and, and her background. And because clearly her role in this is, is Mm. she appears to be, as you've been describing, she appears to be the thing. That's it. Without her history would have been incredibly different. I think she was Stephen's backbone. I think without her, Stephen would have had a much harder time keeping hold of his throne anyway. Um, he possibly wouldn't he even have claimed his the throne. Because mm. the Stephen and Matilda Stephen and Matilda Boulogne had been married on the instigation of Henry the First. He'd he'd actually arranged it. When um his eldest his only son died in the white ship. Henry, his wife had died. He remarried Adeliza of Louvain and was hoping to produce another son and never did. At this time, Empress Matilda is still in Germany. So Henry's looking round for an alternative heir. And his sister Adela had sent Stephen over to his court to be trained as a knight. And Henry took Stephen under his wing. And I think at this point, until 1125, Henry was probably looking at Stephen as a possible heir, which is why he arranged his marriage to Matilda of Boulogne. Matilda was an heiress. She was an only child. She was going to get the great county of Boulogne and all the finances and lands that were behind that. If it wasn't for Stephen marrying Matilda, he would not have had the resources to go for the throne in the first place. 
Neither would he, not just resources as in money, but where Boulogne was placed, placed Stephen in the position that when Henry I died in 1635, even if he was in Boulogne, he was on the coast. He got news of Henry's death. The first thing he did was get on a ship because the, the county of Boulogne was a merchant um, county. You know, they thrived on the, it was a mercantile county. They thrived on um, international travel. So they had ships, plenty of ships, and they could just get Stephen on a ship to England, to London, to be crowned even before uh, Empress Matilda knew her father was dead. So Henry I died on the 1st of December. Stephen was crowned at Westminster on the 22nd of December. It had taken him in just three weeks. He'd made sure he'd got the support of the barons. He'd got, he'd got over to England in the middle of winter. <laughs> when you don't usually sail in midwinter and he got himself crowned he was very lucky also though because empress matilda in had just gone through a traumatic childbirth which in which her life was despaired of at one stage she only just survived it and she just discovered she was pregnant again so she wasn't in a position to actually travel to England to claim the throne. Stephen, I think, had put plenty of people in place even before this. He'd been sounding out everybody to see what would happen if Henry I died. Because William de Warren, the second Earl of Surrey, was with Henry I when he died. And the, he accompanied the body to Rouen and then stayed in Rouen and controlled Rouen for Stephen. Whilst Henry's body was transported back to England, he took control of Normandy. So Stephen had already been talking to people. And while Empress Matilda was incapacitated because she was a woman, because she'd been in childbirth and she was pregnant again. So Stephen was very lucky, but he was also lucky in Matilda of Boulogne because she had all these ships she could put at his disposal. She had the money he could use to bribe whoever he needed to bribe. The borders, you know, she had the ports. He didn't have to go to somebody else's port and say, can I travel to England? She had the port from which he could go straight over to England and the connections in Dover to, so that he could safely land and travel straight away to London. So she was an integral part of his being able to take, take the throne. You'd love to have been a fly on the wall during oh, yes. the sort of discussions and the strategizing for yeah. for all of this. Yeah, and exactly. Whichever year it was that Stephen decided when Henry goes, I'm going for the throne. Yeah. You know, absolutely. he would have had to say this to Matilda and yes. would have had to get Matilda of Boulogne to say, yes, I support you. You can have all the resources right of Boulogne in order to do this because one thing we do know is Matilda of Boulogne and Stephen they ran Boulogne together it wasn't just Stephen on uh, all the charters right. and things that were issued during their time as Count and Countess of Boulogne they were joint That's it was in both names so and you can tell just from yeah. the fact that in 1141 when Stephen was imprisoned mm. Matilda of Boulogne she 
took her main mercenary captain, William of Ypres, who'd been made Earl of Kent, and used him. He, he was, you know, he was from Boulogne. It was her, her, the main backbone of her army was her Boulogne troops right. rather than anyone else's. And right. when she besieged Dover Castle, she was the one who led the, the siege of Dover Castle using her own ships to attack from sea while she was using forces on land as well. So they surrounded the castle by sea and by land, and it was her forces that could do this. So if it wasn't for Matilda of Boulogne, Stephen probably wouldn't have been able to mount a successful claim for the throne that he did. Prior to um, Henry's death, uh, do we know anything at all about his relationship with, with the Empress Matilda? Because she clearly, you know, there must have been some understanding at some point that she would take the throne. I find it, I find it difficult to think that this was just an idea in her head. He must have spoken to her. They must have at least had a relationship that would have suggested to her that it was that it was her right, even though she yes. was a woman. She Did was when when her husband died in Germany in eleven twenty five. A lot of women in those days, when their husband, the, you know, princesses in foreign countries, when their husband died, they stayed there. They set up their lives there. If they were like Matilda, um, no children, they might join a monastery, a nun convent there. But the Empress was recalled to England. Henry, as soon as her husband has died. Henry the first thought, oh, thank you know, thank goodness, I've got an heir. I can recall her to England, and he made sure that the barons accepted her as his heir. He had them swear oaths twice, and Stephen was one of the first both times to swear to uphold Matilda's claim to the throne on the event of Henry the first's death. So by actually claiming the throne, he broke two oaths. And, yeah, the problem was at the time that Henry died, Matilda was in a bit of a disagreement with her dad. He had promised three castles to Geoffrey of Anjou, Matilda's husband, as her dowry, and he hadn't handed them over. So they were sort of in a bit of a war or dispute about these castles. And that's why um, you get Henry Bigo, the Earl of Norfolk, um, claimed that Henry I on his deathbed said that Stephen was his heir, not Matilda, because he'd had a falling out with Matilda. I find it hard to believe that a father who's just had an argument with his daughter would totally disinherit her just over an argument over a couple of castles when you're looking at the entirety of England and Normandy. And it's funny that Henry I was surrounded by five or six earls when he died, but only Hugh Bigo heard this bit. <laughs> but it was enough for Stephen to say, look, I had Henry I's support. And it was enough to get to get enough barons to support Stephen against Matilda, probably because they didn't want a woman to be in charge. When, At the yeah. end of the day, you can say all the things, yeah, they were arguing, but none of those barons wanted a woman to be in charge. They didn't it, want to take orders from a woman. 
Yeah, it, it does. It does strike. It definitely strikes one as that way that it's it's not a coincidence that, mm. you know, that um, and I, I wonder, too, and I'm sure you explored this is what did those that group of barons who go over to Stephen's side? What did they you know, what did they stand to gain by supporting Stephen other than the fact that, you know, look, it's a man's, 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 man's world. And, you know, it's God wouldn't like this if a woman was in charge. I would, I would assume that in, in addition to the fact that one, one assumes, and, and again, this is your subject. So um, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in what you learned about this and, and what, you're, what you're telling your readers is as far as the sorts of advantages that that group of barons would have gotten uh, if Stephen is on the throne versus, versus Matilda, um, the the castles that Henry promised, for example, were any of those in uh, in that group of barons' sort of immediate area. You know, I mean, would would this mean that they would keep the castle? They would get a castle. So, just I'll be quiet now because that's about twenty five questions. So I apologize. The castles were in royal hands, so they weren't. Nobody was going to gain them if Stephen took the throne instead of Empress Matilda. The problem was Empress Matilda's husband, Geoffrey of Anjou. He nobody liked him. Anjou was a natural enemy of Normandy, and they didn't like the idea of Empress Matilda getting the throne and then Geoffrey of Anjou um, having greater influence in Normandy. And all the barons in England at the time were Anglo-Norman, so they had lands on both sides of the English Channel, and they were just as eager to look after their Norman lands as they were their English lands. Uh, so it was, I don't know, I think it was a, they just saw it as a great excuse. We can blame Geoffrey of Anjou and not wanting him anywhere near England, rather than saying that we didn't want the Empress as Queen. Because when Henry I forced, asked the barons to take the oaths to support Empress Matilda's claim to the throne, Geoffrey of Anjou, although he was Empress Matilda's husband, he wasn't mentioned in the oaths. Henry I was determined that Matilda would rule England, not Geoffrey. So I think it was an excuse for the barons. But at the end of the day, it was that they didn't want Empress Matilda ruling. I do think that if Henry I had stayed, as lived for another 10 years maybe, then it wouldn't have been an issue because Empress Matilda's son, Henry was about two, nearly three, when his granddad died. And if he'd been 12 or 13, they would have just passed over Matilda and given the throne straight to young Henry. Even as a teenager, it would have been, you know, the direct line from Henry I. They would have been more than happy for Henry to inherit as a teenager rather than his mum. It's fascinating that they might have been able to hold that thought in their heads, mm. but they couldn't conceive of it when Henry was an infant. And I'm sure partly because yeah. we all know so many children died. So there was no guarantee that she would have a male heir. Mm. Uh, but I, I find it intriguing that if he'd survived, you know, if, as you say, if this had happened a decade later, 
that other forces might have come into play and that yeah. given prevailing ideas of the time and prevailing beliefs about the role of men and the role of women and, you know, and so on, um, that it, it, that might've tipped the balance because of course, mm-hmm. you know, she would have ended up basically being the power behind her son yes. you know, would have ruled it, you know, as, as a regent or whatever the appropriate title would have been during that period. Yeah. Um, and and again, uh, you know, the, the history history might have been a bit different, but of course, in the end, we know what happens. <laughs> well, interestingly, a couple of years after the eleven forty one, the War of the Two Matildas, the focus Empress Matilda actually changes the focus. Henry comes over to England the first time when he's about fourteen, and he does it against his mum's wishes. <laughs> no, when he. he Sorry, um, he comes over for the first time when he's about 12 with his uncle, Robert of Gloucester. They'd gone, oh, Robert of Gloucester had gone over to Normandy to ask Geoffrey of Anjou for supplies and support as um, Empress Matilda is um, besieged at Oxford Castle. And when he comes back, he doesn't bring any supplies with him, but he brings Henry who's about 12 at this point, and Matilda's in, um, she escapes from Oxford Castle rather daringly during a snowstorm dressed in white through the enemy enemy troops besieging her and um, is reunited with her son, who she hasn't seen since he was about five years old. And... At this point, it's like they've brought Henry to show everybody that the focus now is not on Empress Matilda claiming the throne. It's on Henry is the rightful heir. And Henry is in England to show everybody that it is his throne and that all those fighting for the Empress are fighting to restore Henry to the throne. And it shows, it demonstrates that Stephen is a usurper because Henry is the rightful heir. So it gives strength to Matilda's forces. And you see then in 1153, when 17-year-old Henry has invaded a couple of years before and is running ragged round England, besieging castles, getting support, 1153, Stephen actually comes to terms with Henry of Anjou, adopts him as his son and promises to give him the throne when he dies. So Stephen remains king for the rest of his life, but Henry will eventually get the throne and it's restored to the rightful line because Stephen knows that no, he hasn't got the support of the barons for his own sons to succeed him. His eldest son dies anyway, Eustace, who sounds, by all accounts, a bit of a git, and it's probably a good thing he didn't get the throne. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But his younger son is basically disinherited, Hmm. so that Henry, so that the line reverts to the rightful line. So Matilda, Empress Matilda, although she herself does not get the throne of England, she... In the she end, wins in the end, her she, son gets the throne, so she won. Right, <laughs> like, does win in the end because it is restored to her line, and it's yeah. her son. Um, it's the nineteen years yeah. of fighting, right, was worth it in the end because she got what she wanted. She got her son back on the throne. 
So she must have felt really satisfied when Stephen died and Henry got crowned. It must have been a moment like, you know. <laughs> this is what I fought for. I'm fascinated yeah. by, by her by her escape during the winter. And I know we've we've just talked about what the what the outcome is going to be, which you know, which which folks who are familiar with this period know that in the end she does sort of win because Henry becomes um, becomes king but I'm fascinated what other stories you you've told us a little bit about the the redutable Matilda Boulogne and how she she really is the in a sense appears to be the force behind Stephen's ultimate success mm-hmm. tell us more about um, about the empress in terms of what happens to her once she if you will retires from the fighting field she's she's achieved uh, she she has secured the throne for her son. Um, yeah. What does, what does she do next? Thing is that the there is a 1141 was a turning point, and the year 1147 right. is another turning point. Robert Earl of Gloucester dies. Mm. Um, a good few. The Pope calls for the first crusade, or is right. it the second crusade? Second crusade. Sorry, it's the second crusade, and a good few of the barons leave for the second crusade. So the war takes a turn in that it becomes more of a series of sieges of castles rather than a great campaign. Henry of Anjou is now getting old enough to fight for himself. And he eventually takes over the, in about 1150, I think it is, he eventually takes over the campaigns. The empress, she retires to Normandy in the end and leaves it to Henry. His, he's knighted by his uncle David of Scotland. He there's a there's a brilliant story, and it is in the book of him coming to Warwick Castle, and the Earl of Warwick is not there at that moment. His wife is in charge of the castle, Gundrada de Warren, who is um, a sister of Ada de Warren, who was the Princess of Scotland, and she. <laughs> She actually hands over the castle to Henry. She sides with Henry and hands him the castle while her husband's away. Her husband is away at Stephen's court. (laughs) And she hands Henry the castle while her husband's attending to King Stephen. Her husband hears this and apparently drops dead in shame. That's fantastic. And you just, this is the women of the time. It's brilliant. Oh, here you go, Henry. I think it's your rightful crown anyway, so you can right. have Warwick Castle. Oops, tell the hubby. He's dead. He's dead. That's it. He's had a heart attack from the shock and the shame. Right. So. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Well, so. yeah, I mean, the thing is about Empress Matilda is if you read only one of the chronicles, talking about her, if you read the Jester Stefani, which is the Jest of King's Deeds of King Stephen, you would think she was a haughty, um, up herself countess. The Jester Stefani refuses to call her empress or queen. It calls her countess deliberately to show that because she's married to Geoffrey Count of Anjou, that's all she can be, even though she is an anointed queen. When she married 
Emperor Henry, Holy Roman Emperor Henry, she was anointed and crowned as a queen. There's no evidence she was ever crowned as an empress, although she did wear the crown as an empress, so you could assume she was. But there's definite evidence that she was crowned Queen of Germany. So the Justice Stefani should have been calling her queen because she was an anointed queen. Once you're anointed, as Stephen found out, you cannot be unanointed. So you are queen till the end of your life, like Stephen is king till the end of his life. But they won't accord that to Empress Matilda. They have to call her Countess to belittle her. Interesting. And they call her haunty, haughty because when she was holding court, her uncle, King David of Scotland, and her brother, Robert, Earl of Gloucester, entered the room and she didn't stand when they entered the room. So she's called haughty and disrespectful. There's no reason for her to stand. She's an empress. He's a king. He's an earl. But because they're men, the Justice Stefani expected a woman to stand for them, even though she is higher on the social scale to them. Exactly. So the Justice Stefani just makes her out to be this horrible woman who no one would actually want to get to know. And then, and yet you see how loyal her brother Robert is to her um, and her uncle, King David of Scotland. Yeah, David is also Matilda of Boulogne's uncle. Uh, he's uncle to both Matildas, but he's on Empress Matilda's side. Admitted there's probably a bit of self-interest in there because he's King of Scotland and Scotland and England are natural enemies and he wants as much as he can get um, for Scotland. But he did choose the Empress Matilda's side. Interesting. These are wonderful stories about about these these astonishing women. Um, is it is there a, uh, a, a in the same way? There's wonderful uh, you know stories of the great deeds of Stephen. Has anything survived? Any more survived in a similar a similar way? I mean, did anyone write about the great deeds of Matilda? How do we how do we know? Um, as much as we do uh, about mm. her. Um, there is a sort of un, a not so biased um, mm. version in Henry of Huntingdon, who is one of my favourite chroniclers. He's a bit of a gossip, but he's he's great fun to read. And he's he's buried in Lincoln Cathedral and I only live 30 minutes from Lincoln Cathedral. So every time I go in, I, he's, there's a slab on the floor saying Henry of Huntingdon. And I just say hello to him as I walk by. Um, but there's also um, William of Malmesbury, who's a really famous chronicler. And he was paid by Robert Earl of Gloucester, Empress Matilda's illegitimate half brother. So he is much more friendly towards Empress Matilda, although he still has some of the bias of a monk towards a woman. But he's a lot easier to read and a lot easier on the Empress than the Jester Stefani is. I just love the way they, you know, you have to, when you're writing about women in history, you have to have this head on you all the time going, they're biased, they're biased. Whatever they say, um they're always going to play down the role of the women right. and play up the role right. of the men. And they're always going to criticise the women based on what the ideal medieval woman should be, right. which is stay at home, raise the children. 
and right. not make a, you know, because all these chronicles are written by monks, men who yeah. don't actually have anything to do with the women, with their, with women once they leave their mum. <laughs> and they've usually left their mum at the age of eight, nine, ten, eleven. You know, they right. Right. most of the they spend most of their lives in a monastery with men. Exactly. And they have the biblical idea of women being the daughters of Eve, who right. lead men astray because men just don't have minds of their own. They have to, right. you know, if they do something wrong, it's because a woman forced them to it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to keep this in mind all the time that when you're looking at what the women were doing, they probably were doing a lot more, but the men aren't going to, the monks aren't right. going to admit that. <laughs> it's, yeah, they, they, they find it, it's, it's not worthy of commentary. And, mm -hmm. and you know, as I know, as a, as a historian of the medieval era, as, as, as you've, you've touched on, is that, you know, society during this time is very much a hyper-patriarchal society. Yes. And so if there are, and, and also with the traditions of medieval writing, of hagiography and so on, you, you are constructing, you're constructing a narrative that is going to support a particular point of view. So it's not, as we, we all know, history is never objective anyway. You know, it is, no. it is in fact written by the victors. There, there's no such thing as, as objective history. But you, as you pointed out, you know, during this period in particular, anytime you're reading any medieval sources, you, you also have to, you, not only do you have to remember the, the structure of society and it's ordained by God, et cetera, et cetera, um, but that because so many things are recorded by monks, that there is a particular perspective that they are going to take in support yeah. of a point. And, you know, so you... Uh, Every historical source needs to be read within its own context. But yeah. there is a if I remember correctly, there is a particular aspect of medieval writing of history that it was never intended to be an objective recording of facts. That's no. not it's a tale in support of something important. And so you you always have to read you have to read it really understanding that. So so how fascinating though for you to be able to tease out enough details about Empress Matilda and the redutable um Matilda II of of, of Boulogne in order to bring us a, a very different perspective on on what happens. And I am very much looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of this. <laughs> um and, uh, and 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 enjoying it. And and I know that uh, I know that our listeners are probably champing at the bit at this point too, to uh to to, to have a go at this. And tell us when when is it coming out? It's out in the UK on the 15th of January. And I uh, think it's out in the US. I can't remember whether it's April or June. Uh, we always but have to wait over here. In the spring, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so difficult being patient. I can I can <laughs> for myself, but thank you because we do, of course, have many of our listeners, um, you know, live in live in the UK. But uh, but we've got Codify living in the US and Canada. So, uh, yeah. Our, uh, our listeners are going to want to know how long they have to wait on the other side of the pond to get their hands on this. So so it's been great having you on, Sharon, and um, hopefully we'll get you back on really soon to talk, talk a little bit more about medieval history. Thank you very much, and thank you for letting me waffle on about the Empress and the Queen. I just, I, I think this is the one period in English history where the women should be at the fore because... They're on both sides and they're influencing so much 
of the event. Uh, it was absolutely fabulous to be able to look at them and to sideline Stephen a little bit and let the Empress and the Queen take the lead. And I must say, I was as impressed with Matilda of Boulogne as I was with Empress Matilda. I think both were such incredibly strong women and so focused on their families and helping their side sort of thing um, progress and become the victors. It was um, incredible to be able to tell their stories. And I'm sort of glad that Matilda of Boulogne won one bit, but Empress Matilda eventually won in the end by getting her son on the throne. (laughs) Love it. We will get you back on to do much more of this stuff because it's been very good. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest books. You can support them and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book.